Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is Luke, the 12th chapter, where my Bible is opened up, and I'll encourage you to get a Bible out and find Luke chapter 12. That is where we will read from in just a moment as we get underway in this part of our worship. And as you're turning to Luke chapter 12, I'll join in with the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody on this beautiful Lord's Day morning. After having a rainy couple of days, it was just a delight to get to wake up and to see some sunshine and to have a pleasant drive over here today and see the sun shining through the windows and through the doors even right now as we're worshiping God. And uh, that's what makes it even more special when we're able to come together on a nice day like this and blend our hearts and our minds and our voices together in honor and praise to our Creator. Much to say this morning, and I want to get right to it in Luke, the 12th chapter. This is in the midst of a long discourse where Jesus is teaching the multitudes. And at various junctures, he stops off and he says some things specifically to his disciples, some things that would be especially meaningful to them, the men who knew him best. And one of those places is found in verse 50. When Jesus says in Luke 12 and in verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Are you familiar with the term festive stress? Festive stress is a relatively new term that has been coined to describe how many Americans feel during the five-week stretch between Thanksgiving and New Year's. According to a recent study, one out of every three Americans describe the holiday time as being very frantic and very stressful. Researchers say that for most people, that stress would probably be categorized as mild during the first half of December. But right around December the 18th, that's about a week out before Christmas, that's when that festive stress turns severe, ultimately peaking on December the 25th, and then slowly but surely, gradually beginning to lessen in the days and weeks that follow. That is, that is until those folks go through that same exact process again the following holiday season. When the respondents of that survey, when they were asked to identify what exactly it is that causes them to be so stressed at holiday time, folks identified a lot of different things. They said that they were stressful over the fact of having to buy presents, standing in line to buy presents, Dealing with the crowds when trying to buy presents. Knowing what presents to buy. How much money to spend on people for those presents. Decorating the house. Wrapping the presents. Concern over whether the kids will be happy with their presents. Hosting brings great distress to people at holiday time. Cooking and cleaning. One person even said not having enough help with the hosting and the cooking and the cleaning. Traveling brings a great deal of stress at holiday time. Family politics, making sure everyone is treated fairly. Annoying relatives bring stress. Having to work too much during the holidays. The pressure to make the holidays feel special. Whether to put all the Christmas spending on the credit card. And then my favorite of all, people being too jolly is a great source of stress for people. Yes, there is lots of things that cause stress around this time of year. And that, of course, leads to all kinds of undesirable effects. Overeating, loss of sleep, irritability, angry outbursts, undereating, fatigue, anxiety, panic attacks, the list goes on. While that song says that it's the most wonderful time of the year, for many people, this is the most stressful time of the year. 
And even if you're not in that 35% who suffer from this festive stress, all of us can understand about the negative effects that stress can and does have on our lives. The pressure cooker demands of our fast-paced world really causes us to be stressed out in just a number of different ways. In fact, back in the 1970s, a doctor by the name of Carl Albrecht, he identified the four common types of stresses that are pretty much universal to everyone. There is, first of all, what he called time stress. And that is something that all of us can relate to. That would be like, for example, deadlines at work. Am I going to have enough time to get done all of the things that I need to get done? Here I've got a zillion things to do and yet the beat of time keeps marching on. If somebody asks me to do one more thing, I think I'm going to explode. We all know about time stress. He talks as well about anticipatory stress. That is where we anticipate the possibility that something could go wrong and how that stresses us. Maybe for a young person, I have to, I have to take this big test at school. And I'm thinking about that and I think about all the possibilities. What if I fail the test? And if I fail the test, what if I flunk out of the class? And if I flunk out of the class, am I going to be able to get into college? And if I can't get into college, am I going to be able to get a job? It's not that those things will go wrong. No, when you're stressed, it's just the thought that those things could go wrong. He then talks about situational stress. That is where you find yourself in a situation that you were totally unprepared for and now you are stressed because because you just don't know how to cope with that. That would be like, for example, receiving a cancer diagnosis or being laid off from work or maybe even being involved in a church split. Here I am, I'm knee deep in this uncharted territory and it is largely outside of my control. And then he categorized this fourth category of encounter stresses. And that all revolves around stress related to other people. Maybe dealing with an angry client brings stress. Maybe trying to figure out how to communicate with a rebellious child. That brings stress. Some other kind of human interaction and relationship. I just feel overwhelmed when I try to talk to this person. Or even just when I think about this person, it causes me great anxiety. Virtually every person on the planet experiences one or more of these types of stress. And so the question this morning is not, do you ever feel stress? No, the question is, what do you do when it comes? And yes, I do realize that some stress in our lives, it is self-inflicted. I'll say more about that in just a few minutes. But whether that stress stems from things of my own doing, or whether that stress stems from, from outside factors that I cannot control, we want to know, how do we manage that stress? What can we do to get some much-needed relief? Where can we turn to for some help? That's what we're really interested in, aren't we? Where can we go to get just a little bit of reprieve? Well, the truth is, for some types of stress, what you may need to do and where you may need to turn to is to a doctor. The effects of stress on your physical body are real, and they may necessitate that you go seek medical help. I do not want to minimize that at all this morning. But I need you to also know that I am not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV. I'm just a preacher. And the only tool that I know how to wield in a semi-proficient way is this book right here. And as I have studied this book, amazingly what I have found is that this book actually offers some very special solutions for relieving stress. In fact, would you believe me if I told you 
that Jesus knows a thing or two about stress? That's right. Our Lord Himself, He has had His fair share of stressful situations. And in fact, in our opening text, He even acknowledges such. Did you notice there in Luke 12 and verse 50? As Jesus was contemplating the looming specter of the cross, Jesus says in verse 50, I am in great distress. That word distress means to be pulled on every side. It means that there is this strain of a heavy mental burden, a heavy emotional burden to bear. Because think about this, not only was Jesus carrying the weight of the world on His shoulders, getting ready to die for the sins of all mankind, but there was also just the constant daily demands. There were people who who wanted to come and see Jesus. There were people who wanted to talk to Jesus. People who wanted to be healed by Jesus. People who wanted to come and just touch Jesus. There were people who wanted to come and test Jesus. There were questions that needed to be answered. There were people that needed to be taught and needed to be instructed. There was places that needed to be gone. There were things that needed to be done. Jesus, I'm going to suggest, has experienced more stress than anyone can even begin to imagine. And yet even in light of all of that, if you study and look at the life of Jesus, Jesus does not ever seem to be stressed out, does He? No, Jesus handles all of that pressure with incredible poise and incredible peace. Would you like to have some of that? Wouldn't you like to know how to get some of that? How to have a peace of mind even under great pressure? Well, this morning I want us to find some of that stress relief. And I want to find it from the Word of God. And especially and particularly, I want to find it from Jesus. I want us for just a few minutes to observe the words and the actions of Jesus to see how He handled stress so that we can learn not only how to alleviate stress here during the holiday times, but all throughout our lives as we experience different kinds of stress, financial stresses, occupational stresses, relational stresses, medical health stresses, spiritual stresses, wherever it may come from, we want to be prepared for that. Let me share with you this morning eight helps from Jesus' life that I think are well worth implementing into our own lives so that we can have relief from stress while at the same time continuing to serve and honor and glorify the Lord. And let's just start that with something that is often at the root of a lot of people's stress. And while this may not be the, the entire focus of the majority of the rest of this lesson, it is something that we do need to address up front And that is the problem of sin. Sin causes all kinds of stress for people. But particularly for the Christian, it creates an especially stressful situation. Think about it. For a Christian who's involved in sin, here is a person who's supposed to be living for God. They've been created new in Christ Jesus. They're supposed to be walking and talking and being all about Him. And yet over here at the same time, They're walking and talking and participating in the works of the devil. Here's this person who ought to be walking in the light, and yet they've got this foot over here on the other side, walking in the darkness. They're trying somehow to balance those two areas, those two facets, and what they are finding is that that's incredibly nerve-wracking. That is very strenuous. As one author described it, it's like trying to juggle chainsaws on a tightrope. Would you look at the words of Jesus, though, in Matthew 6? Let's see what Jesus says to help us out here. In Matthew 6, Jesus delivers a very famous sermon 
on worry and anxiety. That's verses 25 through 34. But would you look at the verse that precedes that in verse 24? Look at what it is that causes a lot of people's anxiety and stress. In Matthew 6 and in verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying you need to stop serving two masters. And you need to start living for God and God alone. Duplicitous living pulls us in opposite directions. Where we are playing this constant game of back and forth and back and forth. We're putting on the hypocrite mask when we come into certain circles and certain environments. And then once we leave this environment, we go out here to this other environment and we take that mask off and we act like a completely different person. And that is a vicious cycle where those two worlds, we're trying always to keep those two worlds separate from one another and we're trying not to get caught or found out by anybody. Just talking about that, just thinking about that, that stresses me out just to think about it. Does anybody remember the story of Achan back in Joshua chapter 7? In Joshua chapter 7, we read about Achan who stole from the devoted things, the things that had been devoted to God, and he kept that a secret. People had been told, don't touch those devoted things, but he did. He stole from them and he kept it a secret. And as a result of what he did, the Israelites, they lost the battle of Ai. Some of Achan's own brethren lost their lives. God ends up withdrawing His protection from Israel, and there is mourning and there is lamentation all throughout the camp. And here's Achan over here, and he knows exactly why all of that pain and all of that suffering is happening. It's because of him. He knows that, but he's not letting anybody know. Oh, no, 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 no. He's keeping that close to the vest. He's trying to keep his poker face on. He doesn't want anybody to know what's really going on. But then what does God do next? God then commands Joshua to start the process of casting lots. We're going to determine who it is that's responsible for all of this. And while the text in Joshua chapter 7 doesn't tell us specifically, I have to imagine Achan was sweating bullets that entire time. I imagine his stress levels were as an absolute maximum as the process of elimination, verses 16, 17, and 18 describes, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, household by household, man by man, his sin was found out. How much heartache, how much stress could have been avoided if Achan hadn't tried to serve two masters? I remember some time back talking with a brother in Christ about a sin that he had been harboring for years and how it was causing tremendous stress for him at home and at work and in his friendships and yes, even at church. Because in all of those various relationships, he was having to hide. He was having to try and cover his sin in order to keep the charade up. Ultimately, it reached a breaking point and he realized he couldn't do it anymore. So you know what he did? He confessed it and he repented of it. And afterward, he told me after he did that, he felt as if a huge weight had just been lifted off of his shoulders. He had a peace of mind that he had not had in a very long time. No longer was he living a double life. He was now simply living for the Lord. And that is the kind of peace of mind that Jesus wants us to have here in Matthew chapter 6. And that peace of mind, it is attainable whenever we choose to give up hypocritical living 
and instead choose to pursue righteous living. Our lives are stressful enough as it is with all the stuff going on around us. Why in the world would we make it more difficult, more stressful by inviting and allowing sin to enter into our lives and dominate us? That just doesn't work. So somebody says, okay, Josh, I understand why we would start there. But you know, I I have done some self-examination. And I've looked to see what is the source of the stress in my life. And as best I can tell, it's not coming from a sinful place. No, it seems as if most of my stresses are coming from things like like my job or my kids are stressing me out. So the question is, what does Jesus have to offer to me? In fact, what does Jesus have to offer to most of us? Well, how about this for starters? When you're stressed, how often do you just get your Bible out and find peace in the words of Scripture? In Matthew chapter 26, we see Jesus doing that. In Matthew 26, Jesus is relying on Scripture in times of distress. In Matthew 26, this is when Judas has led the authorities to where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is now about to be arrested. He's being delivered over into the hands of His soon-to-be crucifiers. And in that moment, what would have been a high-pressure situation, Jesus shifts the focus off of His troubles, and instead He says, Matthew 26, verse 56... Jesus says, but all this has taken place that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Here in a stressful moment, when many of us, I think, would have been tempted to call down 10,000 angels and let's just abort this mission altogether, Jesus instead stayed the course. And He did that by calling to memory the teaching of Scripture. He remembered the words of the prophets and it reminded him that these stresses that he was enduring, they were only temporal. In fact, they were part of a much bigger and greater plan that his father had set in motion. Well, how about we just take a cue from Jesus here? How about instead of us falling prey to our changing moods and impulses, how about instead we refocus our minds on the calm light of unchanging and eternal truth? That's what the Scripture provides for us. Let's fill up our hearts and let's fill up our minds with the Word of God, which is the very instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to infuse us with peace and joy and comfort. Look in the 119th Psalm with me. In Psalm 119, I'll show you this in a couple of places in the 119th Psalm. This is that great ode to the Word of God. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says in verse 165, look all the way near the end. In Psalm 119, verse 165... He says, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. People who love God's law, who who dwell upon it, who put their faith in it, they have great peace, the psalmist says. Fall back in the chapter, look in verse 143. In the 143rd verse, he says, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. One translation says, as pressure and stress bear down on me, I go and eat a quart of Haagen-Dazs ice cream. No. As pressure and stress weigh down on me, I go outside and I scream as loud as I can. No. As pressure and stress weigh down on me, I find joy in your commands, Lord. It is the Word of God that comforts us and calms us and soothes us like nothing else can do. Honestly now. How can you sit and read the 23rd Psalm 
And read those words to yourself. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How can you read Romans the 8th chapter? Where it says, we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. How can you read verses like that and come away with anything but a sense of calmness and assurance that you know what? Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to turn out all right. In fact, that is this next idea. And that is whenever we are stressed, what we need to do is we need to have a deep trust in the faithfulness of God. If you go back to Matthew's Gospel once again, look in Matthew chapter 26. We see Jesus doing this consistently. In Matthew chapter 26, as Jesus is in the garden, He's praying earnestly. Notice what part of that prayer involves. In Matthew chapter 26, this is verse 39. In Matthew 26 and in verse 39, going a little further, He fell on His face and He prayed saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Remove the stress, Father. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In fact, in verse 42, and then again in verse 44, he prays the very same thing a second time and a third time. Father, I am trusting you that you know what is best. In the stress of pain and sorrow, Jesus was confident in his Father. Even in the abandonment of the cross itself. Jesus trusted that death was not going to be the final word. Or the final words that Jesus said in Luke 23 and verse 46, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. I'm trusting You, Lord. You're going to take care of me. I know that this is not the end. It seems that no matter what was going on in Jesus' life, and there were moments where things just seemed like a whirlwind, Jesus had a deep and abiding trust that God's got it taken care of. And that's where we need to get. We need to be able to reach the point and the place where all of the stress and all of the worry and all of the trouble that seems to be pulling us in every possible direction, we are able to ball all of that up and carry it and then lay it down at the feet of the Lord. In fact, that's what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, this is a a great verse, but I'm afraid we just don't do it enough. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and in verse 7, he says, Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Do you see that word cast there? That Greek word for cast, it literally means to dump. That is, you take all of your cares, all of your stress, all of your anxiety, and you go and dump it at the Lord's feet. Just drop it and just leave it there. And that's what Peter says to do, and yet all too often, what do we do? Well, what we do is we see that word cast, and we use a different definition for cast. Those of you that are fishermen, you know about casting, don't you? What do we do? We take that line, and we flip it out there, and it goes way far out. goes way far away from us. We cast the line out there, but then, after a little while, what do we do? We, we reel it back into who? We reel it back into ourselves. And that's what happens sometimes with all of our cares and stresses and anxieties. We cast it away for a time, but then we we bring it back into us. As if somehow we think that we've got the solution. We'll be able to fix this all on our own. I know how to fix my problems and my troubles. What makes me think that I can do something better than the Lord can? Cast it all on Him, Peter says. Trust that He's going to see you through. Somebody maybe would ask, well, well, how's God going to do that? I'm going to take all my cares and I'm going to lay them at His feet and... Well, how's God gonna, how's God gonna fix that? 
How's He going to take care of this stressful situation? How's He going to be able to bring me peace in this circumstance? Answer, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a clue how the Lord's going to do that. I don't have to know. He's God. I'll not try to whittle on His end of the stick. I'll let Him do His job. He's really good at His job. I'll just keep trusting. I'll just keep trusting that He keeps in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on Him, Isaiah 26 and in verse 3. The Lord did that for Jesus. He'll do that for us. As we're talking about that, I would say fourthly, that somewhere in the midst of all of our stress and being pulled in many different directions, it is important that we make it a point to pull away from all of that chaos so that we can rest, so that we can pray. I'm lumping together the idea of rest and prayer here because it seems that Jesus kind of combined those two ideas consistently throughout His life. I'm always impressed whenever I read the gospel records of the life of Jesus, just how many times we read about Jesus withdrawing from the crowds, withdrawing from the hectic schedule, withdrawing from all of the busyness so that He could go and be by Himself and get His batteries recharged. In fact, let's stitch some passages together here and look at Matthew 14. In Matthew chapter 14, after the feeding of the 5,000, and I don't know, the text doesn't say, but I would imagine that might be a little stressful. Trying to feed 5,000 hungry people. What's Jesus do next? In Matthew 14, look in verse 23. In Matthew 14, verse 23, after He had dismissed the crowds, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. And when evening came, He was there alone. Jump ahead in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, this is actually something that Jesus wanted to develop, a habit that He wanted to develop in the lives of His apostles. And so we read in Mark chapter 6, this is verse 30. In Mark 6 and in verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. And then in Luke, look in Luke chapter 5. Jesus' fame at this point, it is spreading abroad, it's spreading wide, more and more demands are being made upon His time and on His energy. We read in Luke chapter 5 and in verse 16, that Jesus, He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. In fact, if you're reading from a New American Standard or a New King James, it actually says that He would often or frequently withdraw to desolate places and to pray. Over and over and over again, we see Jesus seeking solitude as a means of stress relief, as a means of physical and spiritual rejuvenation. Jesus didn't apologize for that. Jesus did not, you know, the Bible does not paint Jesus as some kind of a bad guy. You know, what a what an inconsiderate person to go and pull himself away from everybody. People need him, and here he is going off by himself up into a mountain. I need some me time. The Bible doesn't paint Jesus in that way. No. Bible paints this as a good thing. In fact, I think this is a mark of strength and a mark of maturity. Let's face it, the human body was not meant to just go, 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 go all the time. The human brain was not meant to just be running and zipping in a million different directions all of the time. The human spirit was not meant to be pushed to the limit. Hey, let's see how much we can cram in to a single 24-hour period. I think back in the Old Testament, God gave Israel the Sabbath as a gift. It was a day of rest for their benefit. It was a time for them to be able to recenter and recalibrate and refocus and to get themselves prepared for what would come in the next seven days. 
And while we are not bound by the Sabbath law today, I do believe that that principle of rest is just as valid in our modern day and in our modern world where things are often moving at a frenetic, go-for-broke pace. And we need time to seek the Lord's face in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving so that we can indeed be anxious for nothing, as Paul talks about in Philippians 4, verse 6. If you're stressed, what you need to do, friend, is you need to budget and schedule in there some alone time between you and the Lord. Yet even as I say something here about pulling away from everybody else and everything else, it is important to notice that one of the ways that Jesus dealt with stress and the way He managed that was by surrounding Himself with others who could help to share His load. I'm thinking here of Mark chapter 3, when Jesus calls the twelve apostles. You know, Jesus had a huge and monumental task that needed to be accomplished and needed to be done in a relatively short period of time. His earthly ministry was going to be relatively brief, two or three years at the most. He had lots of places to go, lots of things that needed to be accomplished. And while Jesus, since He was God, He literally could have done all of that by Himself if He so chose, I find it interesting that that's not the way that Jesus operated. In Mark 3, look in verse 14, the Bible tells us that He appointed twelve, whom He also named apostles, so that they might be with Him and He might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Jesus wanted some reliable friends who would be with Him and who could help Him. And I believe that that was intentional. Not just so that these guys could carry on and continue to carry the banner long after Jesus was gone, but also because Jesus desired their presence. Their presence and their assistance would help to keep His work from becoming too stressful for His physical body. And I'm going to suggest to you that we need that same thing in our lives today. While it is certainly impressive when a stay-at-home mom is able to juggle the demands of three or four or five or six children all by herself, day in and day out, without the help of anyone. Hey, I'm super mom and I don't need anybody's help. While that's really, really impressive, I'm not so sure that that is the wisest way to manage your stress. Or maybe when a person's health is starting to fail them, And it's causing them some problems. Maybe for one, it's causing some financial strains and hardships in their life. I'm not really sure that that's the best time to get all macho and get all tough and say, I don't need nobody's charity. I don't need nobody's help. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I don't need nobody. I'm not really sure that that's wise. In Mark 14, in Mark 14, in arguably the most stressful moment of Jesus' life, as he goes to Gethsemane, and the Bible says that his sweat was like drops of blood, verse 32 of Mark 14 says that he took 11 of his friends and they went with him. And then he went a little bit further in verse 33, and he took three of his very closest friends. And why did he do that? Because he wanted those guys to be with him. To help share in his burden. And while it is absolutely true that Peter and James and John, they kind of fell asleep on the job, Jesus had the right idea though. I need others to help share in that. Galatians 6 verse 2 says that Christians are to bear one another's burdens. And so if you are carrying around a load of stress, then brother in Christ, sister in Christ, let us help you. Let me help you in bearing your burden. Because the reality is... A day is probably going to come when I'm going to need to call upon you to help carry my burden 
and lighten my stress. Let's learn to delegate. Let's learn to, to solicit the help of others and not be ashamed to do that. In fact, while you're at it, maybe another thing that you ought to want to work on is you probably want to change what kind of things are occupying your mind. It really helps with stress. I want to look at a verse in Mark chapter 8. And I want to draw out a principle that Jesus sets forth here. We actually studied this in the young adults class this morning. In Mark chapter 8, this is verse 33, when Jesus rebukes Peter. And I want you to notice specifically what he says. In Mark 8 and in verse 33, there as Jesus says, Peter, he rebukes Peter, he says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, there's a lot that could be said about that verse, but I want to highlight that Jesus indicates here that you can control what kind of thoughts take up residency in your brain. Peter had the wrong kind of thoughts resting in his brain. And what he needed to do is he needed to replace them with the right kind of thoughts. In fact, if you and I need some clarity as to what those things are, the things of God, what kind of things would that be? Paul helps us out over in Philippians 4. In Philippians 4, I made reference to verses 6 and 7 earlier. But look at verse 8 now. In Philippians chapter 4, after talking about how prayer has a way of driving out stress and anxiety, Paul builds on that in Philippians 4 and in verse 8 when he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about... These things. Some translations say, meditate upon these things. That means give your mind fully to these things. Instead of filling your mind with stressful and worrisome thoughts where you end up thinking about them over and over, you rehearse those things over and over in your head, choose to cast your burdens at the feet of the Lord and instead think about His things. I hear people say all the time things like, well, you know, I, I just can't help it. I can't help what I think about. I'm a worry war. I stress about things. That's just what I do. I just can't help but think about those things. You are wrong. You are wrong. You can help it. You can choose what you think about. You can choose how much you think about those things. And yes, I understand, you will struggle initially to keep those thoughts from creeping back to the forefront of your mind. But you can press them right back out. You can get them out of the way. You have control over that. Many times I believe our stress is the result of an overactive mind. Our minds are undisciplined. And we need to do better about that. Paul says we can change that. Jesus says we must do that. He didn't allow His mind to be the domain of a bunch of stinking thinking. And neither can we. Especially when we are making an effort, seventhly, to establish some clear boundaries. That is so critical in dealing with stress. Look in Luke chapter 12. At this episode in Jesus' life in Luke chapter 12. This is one of those encounters that Jesus has where somebody comes to Him and they're wanting to ask something of Jesus. Want to add another chore to Jesus' to-do list. But I want you to notice Jesus' response to that request. In Luke chapter 12, this is verse 13, someone in the crowd said to Him, Teacher, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, verse 14, Man... Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? You see what Jesus said there? Jesus said, listen, pal, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to let you crowd my life with all of that. My time and my energy, those things are precious commodities. 
And I'm not going to be pulled in a hundred different directions accepting just everything that people want to go dumping on me. Jesus set some clear boundaries. Jesus knew how to say no. Why is it that we have so much trouble with that? Why do we have such a trouble and a problem with saying no? Why is it that we willingly invite stress into our lives because we feel obligated to say yes to every opportunity, to every invitation that might come our way? A couple months ago, Tiffany's sister sent Tiffany a, a text message. And she was just talking about, I, I just hate my life right now. My life is so miserable because virtually every afternoon after work, And virtually every day of the weekend, my days are filled with driving down to the ball field for whether it's a practice or a game or a tournament so that my daughter can play softball. And she said, I'm just so stressed out from all of the running and all the spending and all of the going. To which I said, who made the decision to put your kid in softball? Your kid wasn't forced to do that. She wasn't required to do that. You accepted that. You brought that on yourself. You could have said no. In fact, you could still say no. You have the power to alleviate a lot of stress from your life if you learn to set some boundaries. Jesus had some specific things that, yes, He had to do. And He did those things. But you know what? There was plenty of other things that Jesus didn't have to do. And many times in response to those things, He said, no, I'm not doing that. Because I don't need the additional stress. And yes, when he said that, I imagine that guy there in Luke chapter 12, it probably made him upset. It probably ruffled a lot of people's feathers, the fact that Jesus said no. But Jesus set boundaries. And we need to learn to do the same. Which brings me one final time to Matthew chapter 6. Go back to Matthew 6 again. We noticed earlier in verse 24 about the folly of trying to serve two masters. You just can't do it. And how that, of course, when we do that, that often does generate a lot of our worry and a lot of our stress and a lot of our anxiety. That's verses 25 down through verse 33. Jesus concludes this section of the sermon with these words in Matthew 6 and in verse 34. Jesus says this, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What Jesus is teaching us here, is that one of the most important keys to managing our daily stresses is that we got to learn to just take things one day at a time. Now, I want to be clear, Jesus is not condemning the idea of making plans. Jesus is not saying that you should not ever give any kind of thought to, to future events and having careful thought for the future. There's lots of people in the Bible who made plans. David made plans for the temple. Nehemiah made plans for the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem. God made plans all the way in eternity past so that He could bring about His scheme of redemption for us today. What Jesus is warning about here is getting all worked up, all stressed out over tomorrow's troubles which may not even come at all. And let's be honest, many times the things that we are stressed about are either A, things that we can't control, or B, things that aren't even worth controlling, or C, things that only God can control. we got to learn to let that go. Let The new Frozen movie's out. I don't know what the song is in it, but let it go. you got to let that stuff go. We need to simply be living one day at a time. We need to handle each new problem as they come 
in the present. When you start trying to pile tomorrow's stresses on top of today's stresses, chances are you're just going to get crushed under the weight of all that mess. Jesus says, leave tomorrow alone. If there even is a tomorrow, then we'll deal with that then. In the meantime, what you need to do is you need to just simply live for today. Serve me faithfully today. Give God your best today. Do what's right today. The Lord has given you all of the tools, all of the essentials, all of the help that you need in order to live right, right now. When you determine to take things one day at a time, I think you'll be surprised at just how many of the things that you are stressed about just begin to disappear from your life. One final verse this morning, and I'll put it up on the screen. It's in John the 16th chapter. As Jesus was preparing His apostles for His eventual departure from planet earth, and no doubt they were very concerned, they themselves were very distressed by that news, He gives them these words to reassure them in verse 33. In John 16 and verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in Me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you see there in the middle of the verse how Jesus never promised that He's just going to take away all of our stresses? That's not promised. This sermon was not about how to get rid of all of your stresses and never have them come back. No. This sermon's about how to get some relief and how to manage that. Stress is a part of our life. We are living in this world which means that we will have troubles, and that includes the strain of being pulled in every direction. We're going to have stress. But do you see the good news that kind of bookends that verse? The good news is, is that in the midst of all of that stress, Jesus says it is possible to still have peace. And it is a peace that can be found only in Him. The One who is the Prince of Peace if we will heed His words, if we will follow His example, then we can know a peace, a clarity of mind, a calmness in our lives that people in the world only dream of having. But that all has to begin somewhere. And that all does begin by coming to Jesus, coming to Him in faith, accepting His gracious invitation to just come to Him. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, are you burdened? Are you weighed down with cares and stresses and anxieties? Jesus says, you come and lay that down. You come and take my yoke upon you. And in doing so, you will find rest for your souls. Do you need that? Do you need relief this morning? It may be that the burden of sin that you're carrying around, the only way that that's going to be able to be relieved is by being united with Christ in the waters of baptism. Becoming one of God's children by surrendering to His plan of salvation. Can we help you to take that critical step this hour? If you have been baptized, you are a Christian, but you are burdened, you are beset by other things, and you need some relief from that. Then let us pray with you, let us encourage you, let us do what we can to assist you in being relieved of those stresses. Let's be able to leave here today with the peace that passes all understanding. If we can help you to have that peace, would you make that known by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing?